Hello, welcome to the Safe Sedation Podcast, the podcast where you find all you need to know about sedation and keeping patients safe. Brought to you by Sedate UK, and with you are your hosts, Andrea Trigo, Martin Lees, and Craig Cook. If you are a first-time listener, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss new episodes. Check out our website at www.sedate-uk.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Today's episode is sponsored by Medtronic MicroStream Monitoring. Make sure you listen till the end because there's a lot of interesting things to cover. We're going to talk about definitions of sedation and the different levels of sedation, the skills and competencies of sedation practitioners. We're going to talk about monitoring sedation and the different sedation scores available. And of course, we're going to talk about the risk of respiratory compromise at each sedation level, and we're going to talk about how to monitor respiratory compromise. We're going to finish today's episode by letting you know about two very interesting devices that you can use to monitor respiratory compromise, the CapnoStream 35 monitor and the MicroStream filter line sampling. To start off, I'm going to ask Craig, who has been doing sedation for over 20 years, to start with a basic explanation of sedation. Craig, what can you tell us about sedation? Yeah, that's certainly an important starting place, Andrea. At its simplest, the definition of, of sedation is to induce a reduced level of consciousness with the use of sedative agents such that a patient would be able to tolerate procedures that otherwise they would not be able to cope with. And at the same time, they are still able to maintain their ventilation and respiration and general cardiorespiratory status. The tools that sedationists have at our disposal is really benzodiazepines, opioids, and analgesics. Increasingly, we are seeing that, that non-anesthetists are giving procedural sedation in hospital and out of hospital settings. And it's also important to clarify that this podcast is focused on sedation for procedures, so, so, so known as, as procedural sedation. It's not concerning sedation that may be needed in an ICU setting to ventilate patients. That's a, that's a different topic. And we're going to focus on sedation as it is needed for, for procedures. And I think that an important part of the understanding of sedation is also the appreciation of sedation as a continuum. And I think maybe Martin, if you wanna, if you wanna fill, fill in on that continuum aspect because it's an essential part of the sedation area. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Craig. So whenever we sedate patients, we find that they can be anywhere between completely awake or uh, totally asleep. So rather helpfully, the American Society of Anesthesiologists, first in 1999 and then more recently with updated regulations in 2019, uh, defined three levels of sedation. 
So the first is uh, known as minimal sedation or anxiolysis, where patients will respond normally to your verbal commands, but their thinking and coordination may well be affected. Aspects like breathing and blood pressure are not usually affected. The next level, a deeper level, is moderate sedation. This is often called conscious sedation. And it's where patients uh, will respond when asked to or when given a gentle tactile stimulation. All the other vital functions, although mildly depressed, uh, often don't require any intervention or support. Then there's the final level of sedation called deep sedation. And this is where the patient doesn't respond ex except to painful stimulus. Quite often the breathing becomes inadequate. The uh, airway may become partially obstructed it's quite possible that the patient might not breathe very frequently or indeed not at all, and this is called apnea. Thankfully, cardiovascular function is usually maintained. So I'd just like to point out a slight paradox at this point. Um, quite often people ask us if, they if the patients are responding to a painful surgical stimulus, you know, which level of sedation are they at at that point? Well, pain from surgery is a different pain to a central stimulation which we want to use to establish how deeply sedated the patients are. So pain from surgery tends to be a reflex withdrawal or reflex movement which is very different from um, an assessment which is best made by for instance uh, squeezing the trapezius muscle of the shoulder and that needs processing by the brain and a, and a cognitive response. Martin, let me just uh, interrupt you there because that continuum that you're talking about will end eventually in general anesthesia, which is different to sedation, but it's at the end of that continuum. And this is a drug induced loss of consciousness where patients are not rousable, so they are not responding to you, not even by painful stimulation. And here, usually the ventilatory function is impaired. They will require assistance in maintaining a patent airway. And usually cardiovascular function may also be impaired. Yeah, absolutely, Andrea. So general anesthesia is an unwelcome but possible feature of deep sedation or indeed any sedation. Um, so we always have to be ready to manage those complications of unintended levels of depth of sedation. So for instance, if we're aiming for a moderate level of sedation, we really need the skills to manage and rescue from deep sedation. Uh, if we're aiming for deep sedation, we need to be able to manage potentially a general anesthetic. It's definitely not appropriate to continue the procedure at, at sort of an unintended depth of sedation where this exceeds your skill level. So um, if we are aiming for moderate sedation, we need the skills to clear the airway, manage an airway, and if necessary, assist with ventilation. And the way we would typically do this is by using a bag valve mask device. So I just wanted to also touch on something called monitored anesthesia care, or MAC. This is a deep sedation provide, provided by qualified anesthesia providers, whether they be anesthetists or anesthesia nurses or anesthesia specialist alternative um, allied health professionals. And uh, this is where the deep sedation may well require escalation to something else such as a general anesthetic or indeed regional anesthesia. 
So, so it's crucial to state the patient to the right level and keep them at that level throughout the procedure if possible. Do you both agree with that? Perhaps Andrea, you could give us your thoughts on sedating to the intended level. Sure, sure, Martin. I'm happy to comment as you're saying it's indeed important to sedate and titrate to our intended level of sedation. There was an interesting study that was looking at the different levels of sedation and found that 26% of patients became deeply sedated when moderate sedation was intended. So it can indeed happen. And in this study, they also looked at capnography and noticed that using capnography resulted in a reduction in adverse events, but we'll come to capnography at a later stage in this podcast. Like you were saying, Martin, because sedation is a continuum, it's important to decide beforehand what is the required level of sedation that we are aiming for this specific patient who is having this specific procedure, uh, what is that level that will allow the procedure to take place at a comfortable level of sedation. And that level of sedation needs to be aligned with our skills and our competencies as non-anesthetists. So when we are practicing sedation, we need to have the skills to rescue a patient from that level that is deeper than the one that we are intending. So if you are intending to sedate to a level level of minimal sedation, we need to have the, the skills to rescue a patient from moderate sedation. If we're aiming to moderate sedation, we need to have the skills to rescue from deep sedation. And if we're aiming for deep sedation, we need to have the skills to rescue from general anesthesia. So non-anesthetists are able to practice both minimal and moderate sedation. So these are our intended levels. And we know that from time to time, due to patients, the variable response they have to our sedative drugs, at any point, they may end up going into deep sedation. So we do need to have the knowledge and the skills to rescue them from that state of deep sedation. So because there is always that risk of a patient being more sedated than we are expecting, monitoring becomes really, really important. Martin, can you take us through how to best monitor a patient at these different levels of sedation? Maybe even talk about the score that we devised at Sedate UK. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrea. So there have been many scales developed over the years to assess objectively depth of sedation. Some common ones which you may have heard of include the MOAS score and the RAS score. There's another called the Ramsey score. Some of these are used in intensive care and some of them are used for procedural sedation. So there is overlap between all these scores and a little bit of confusion around which depth we're at, depending on which score you're using. So we tried to clarify this and at Sedate UK, we've developed the alertness in sedated patients score, uh, otherwise known as the ASP score. So our score ranges from plus five to zero. And I'll just run through the levels very briefly. At level five, you're the most alert patient you would be. So this is a patient who's totally recovered from sedation or hasn't had any drugs at all. And we call this um, alert. There's a level next down, which is level four, which is a relaxed patient who's received some sedation, but is basically relaxed and calm, but fully responsive. And this is called relaxed. 
Then there's ASP level three going down towards the deeper levels of sedation. And this patient is probably sort of somewhere you want to be. It's a lethargic patient who may have slurred speech. They may talk less, but they'll still talk spontaneously. And we call this lethargic. There's an ASP level two, which is the next level down. And we don't really want to go beyond this level of sedation. And this is a patient who won't talk spontaneously um, unless they're prompted. Um, but they will respond when you prompt them. ASP level one, the next level down, is the one just before general anesthesia. So this is a deeply sedated patient who only responds to a central painful stimulus, a little bit like the shoulder squeeze I spoke about earlier. Um, and that's quite a deep level of sedation. So we need to watch out for hypoventilation or an airway obstruction. ASP level zero in our scale, the ASP scale is a patient who doesn't respond to either central or reflex painful stimulus. And some of you who have done anesthesia will recognize this as the definition of general anesthesia. So uh, a patient at this level requires uh, a practitioner who has all the skills of a fully qualified anesthetist or anesthesia trained AHP. So it's also important to understand what the relative risk of respiratory compromise is at each of these stages. And I think we can highlight that this is the main focus of this podcast. So Craig or Andrea, or perhaps both, you could give us your views on, on that. Yeah, why don't I pick that up, Andrea, unless you want to pick that up. No, that, that's fine. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and you fill in any detail or add as necessary. So I think to start to, to answer your question, Martin, the first thing is just to refer back to the definition of sedation, where with the reduced level of consciousness or despite the reduced level of consciousness, the patient should be able to maintain their own airway and not suffer any cardiorespiratory compromise. Nevertheless, having said that, clearly, the, the risks increase the deeper the sedation goes. And that uh, is the continuum that we've been we've talking about. So whilst in middle, minimal sedation, airway and ventilation are typically unaffected, in moderate sedation, ventilation is affected, but still adequate. And the airway typically requires no intervention from the sedationist. In deep sedation, however, ventilation may be inadequate and the airway may need intervention. And I think clearly as, as the sedation levels deepen and the risk of respiratory compromise increases, that's where monitoring and man managing any adverse event is, is key. And I know that this is a topic that's close to your heart, uh, Andrea. So maybe you wanna opine on, on the, the importance and how to monitor respiratory compromise. Yes, absolutely, Craig. So respiratory compromise, as you mentioned, is one of the main risks of sedation. So everyone who is involved in sedation needs to find ways to prevent respiratory compromise and to monitor it throughout the procedure. And I would like to emphasize the role of capnography, which we have mentioned a couple of times before in the podcast. And this is such a key element of our courses. And we've seen throughout the years that a lot of healthcare professionals maybe were coming to our course and they weren't really aware of capnography and were always surprised at how important it is and 
actually it's not that difficult to, to use, but most recently, almost everyone who comes on our course already has some knowledge around ethnography. So there is a change happening within healthcare professional settings where we are becoming more aware of topography and the importance it has for detecting respiratory compromise. But, you know, a lot of us are still relying on pulse oximetry as a measure of respiratory compromise. It's probably the most used device worldwide to detect respiratory compromise, but we know that capnography gives us a much quicker indication of respiratory compromise in just a few seconds. And there's even that interesting video of Martin that you can find on YouTube where he, he's been measuring his respiration with capnography and pulse oximetry. And we see how quickly capnography detects the respiratory compromise and saturation is a much later indicator. And in, in that study that I was mentioning early, looking at the different levels of sedation, I mentioned that capnography resulted in less adverse events. In fact, it was 27.2% and 18% reduction in the proportion of patients experience adverse events during deep and moderate sedation. So for our listeners who are still not using capnography, I think now is the time to start. Well, I would say that yesterday was the time to start using capnography, but let's just say now. Um, in our course, we have been using the CapnoStream 35 monitor, and this is a great solution if you don't have an anesthesia machine and so many sedation environments don't have a full anesthetic machine already with capnography incorporated in it. So the CapnoStream 35 monitor is a very handy device, portable device that you, you can take with a patient anywhere in the hospital and combines capnography and pulse oximetry. And then we have nine possible screen displays to choose from. So we can choose how we want to visualize the data that is important to us to help us make our clinical decisions. And of course, to measure capnography, we need to have a sampling line. And there's def definitely a lot of sampling lines available. And in our course, we have been using the microstream filter line sampling. And I absolutely love this uh, sampling line because it's so unique. So you have oxygen delivery through both nostrils up to five liters of oxygen per minute. And the CO2 measurement is done both from the nose and through an oral scoop. And this is what is so innovative about it because so many patients become mouth breeders after sedation. So if you're using normal sampling lines that measure CO2 only from the nose, we might be missing out and not get any CO2 reading. So having this oral scoop can make a big difference and help us make our clinical decisions. And for endoscopy procedures, which is also um, something that we usually talk about in our sedation course, we have a sampling line with the guardian bite block. So the challenge in endoscopy is that you have very uh, fragile endoscopes and you're trying to measure CO2 as well through the mouth, through the nostril, we're trying to administer oxygen. So everything is happening 
on the face in that same area and it can become a bit crowded. So this guardian bite block allows us to protect the endoscopy devices from damage and allows us to measure uh, CO2 and also administer O2, everything very well incorporated in one single, single device. I think, uh, Andrea, there's, there's also that alternative piece of kit that is coming or, or is, is imminently going to be launched mm -hmm. by Medtronic, the, the OxyMask with MicroStream. And this is an alternative to, to the bite block and the, the system you've just described, but it's effectively a face mask that similarly allows the CO2 sampling and access for endoscopes all at the same time or all while administering oxygen simultaneously. So it's really just a modified face mask that allows those endoscopic procedures or other um, bron bronchoscopic procedures to occur simultaneously with the three, the three um, actions in parallel, i.e. CO2 sampling, oxygen delivery, and instrumentation that has been inserted into, into the mouth. Well, th that's definitely something to look for, Craig. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to using that as well. Well, I think we're almost at the end of today's episode. But we will talk more about capnography over the next podcast. So you'll have a lot of opportunities to learn more about capnography. To end, I would like to answer two final questions that we have received from our listeners. Martin, Craig, maybe you can take one each. The first question is about what is the most important monitor insulation i'll take that one the well clearly it's the sedationist himself or herself that's um that's a number that's a number one monitor and then there's adjuncts to help the sedationist in in his clinical assessment which is your monitors like capnography pulse oximetry and your hemodynamic monitoring such as heart rate blood pressure and and ECG. I think of all of those in terms of, of real-time information, capnography is becoming more and more essential because it provides breath-to-breath -breath respiratory data and it allows the sedationist to intervene immediately. There's, there's something not right and that way you avoid any deleterious Effect. So I think it's an essential piece of kit in addition to pulse oximetry and, and the hemodynamic monitoring. But uh, above all, the sedationist needs to be very vigilant from a clinical perspective. And the, the monitors are, are adjuncts to his or her job. Does that answer the question, Andrea? Yes, it does. And now I have another question. Maybe, Martin, you can answer this one. Yeah, sure. And... This question is about using capnography in moderate sedation because it is recommended in deep sedation, but as you said, sedation is a continuum that can go from moderate to deep. So shouldn't we be using it in moderate sedation as well? Absolutely. I think what we've seen is that all the complications during sedation most of them are related to respiratory compromise. So 
if you have a real-time indicator of respiratory function, why wouldn't you use it? And as I said, it's increasingly becoming a mandatory piece of monitoring. I certainly use it every time I do sedation. And that is all for today. Thank you for joining us. We will share all the information about this episode on the podcast notes. There's a new episode coming up soon. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And you know you can find us on www.sedate-uk.com and on social media. Please feel free to message us directly if you have any questions, feedback or comments. Thank you for listening.